You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Um, I'm going to pray, open with a prayer that I learned from Fleming Rutledge, and I'm not going to do it justice because I don't have that elegant Victorian accent that she does, but it's a beautiful uh, prayer. Come, Holy Spirit, like a fire, burn, like the wind, cleanse, convict, convert, and consecrate our lives. In Christ's name, amen. And you can just hear it coming out of her mouth. All right, so this is a two-week course on um, preparing for Advent, which is kind of uh, almost a little bit of a joke because Advent itself is a time of preparation, but we're going to talk about um, getting ready to, to prepare. And um, I'm sort of broke it's, it's two weeks, so I've broken it up into who are we and what is it that we're waiting for. Um, and I don't have all the answers, but I have these thoughts that I am honored to share with you, and I hope that if in any little way it glorifies our Lord, that will be a good thing. Okay, so we are about to um, begin a very interesting season of Advent. And as you know, Advent is the four weeks prior to Christmas when we are to prepare ourselves to receive the Christ child while we intentionally set our gaze on Christ's second coming. So we're getting ready for his first coming and we're looking towards his second coming. And Advent, like Lent, it is a penitential season. Um, it is, um, and that's something I really like about our church seasons. It sort of protects us from jumping right into Christmas joy. Before we do that, let us first consider some things. Um, the season of Advent is the same sobering pause before Christmas that Lent is to Easter, and I think it's very wise and very necessary. Advent is a time when we are to get our spiritual house in order, confess our sins, acknowledge our need for a Savior, and keep watch for the coming Lord. Advent is therefore for those of us on this side of the incarnation and resurrection it is a time of waiting. We are recalling one event, the historical actual arrival of a baby in Bethlehem who would live among us, suffer and die, and rise again, thereby saving us from sin and death. And we are casting our eyes in hopeful expectation towards the promise, real, actual, not yet, event to come, Christ's second coming. Um, and I want to break that down even a little bit more just into how that there, this whole um, human experience of waiting, it, it, can, it can be in a very individual thing. Um, I remember that when I was a child, all I wanted to be was an adult. <laughs> I, I know not everybody's like that. But I, for some reason, just looked to adulthood and saw that as eminently more um, exciting and good than childhood. 
I, I can remember literally waiting to be at least um, sort of an adult. I longed to move out of my parents' home and experience college on my own. Then it was finding the right job. Then perhaps a husband and then having children. And then I remember waiting for them to all be out of diapers. Um, then um, to the place in our life, Frank's in my life, where there were no more college tuitions, um, no mortgage. Um, and then, you know, meanwhile, we're, we're watching retirement get larger and larger in our rearview mirror. Um, and I now look forward to spouses for our children and grandchildren for me. They can have the spouses. I just want the grandchildren. Oh, well, he might. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I might let him play a little bit. Yeah. Um, so and at the risk of sounding a little morbid, I find myself having moments of awaiting my death, anticipating my death. Um, so our lives can seem like a series of in-between times when we are waiting for the next milestone. Or maybe we're waiting for the test results back from the lab. Or we're waiting for our baby to be born. Or we're waiting for a grown child of ours to come to know the Lord. Whatever it is, there's always something out there that we long for and we're waiting for. And of course, the Israelites of the Old Testament, God's chosen people, understood this in between time. They remembered their miraculous liberation from slavery in Egypt, and they looked forward to the arrival of the promised Messiah who would end their oppression and restore them as rulers of the promised land. So they definitely got what it was like to be in between people. Their God, our God, had supernaturally interceded on their behalf to free them from the bondage of Egypt and establish for them a promised land. And all the while, they were not being particularly cooperative or faithful as they roamed through the wilderness for 40 years and then when their kingdom later was established. Um, and of course, that eventual liberation and the establishment of the nation Israel um, with uh, some wise judges and then King David and King Solomon at the helm for a while. None of this was really sustainable because of individual and corporate sin. Enemies invaded the Israelites again and again. And within her nation, the 12 tribes were set against one another. A succession of bad and weak kings um, was most often part of the problem and not the solution that the Israelites had insisted that they would be when they begged God for a king. So I just love this. Here's, here's a, an example in scripture where we know the problem and we know the solution. So we give God both. Um, here's, here's our, we need, we need a government. We need governance. And this is the kind of government we need. And that didn't work out all that well. So um, what survived in 550 B.C.-ish was a remnant of people exiled in the land of Babylon. And about 400 years before Jesus was born, 
They returned to their land with their oppressor's permission, but they were now a governed people by a foreign empire. So Isaiah, um, writing before the Babylonian exile um, and definitely predicting it, as well as a lot of other things, he tells the Israelites this. It's a very famous passage. It's a beautiful passage. The people who walked in darkness, that would be them, have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has shined light. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it, with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So this was what the Israelites were waiting for. So the Jews looked towards this promise of a coming Messiah and believed it because they could remember how God had liberated them from Egypt. And so in this particular present reality of the pandemic, that's what I was meaning by how this is going to be an, a particularly unusual, hopefully uh, revelational advent, um, because now we're going to have that in this season of advent. We will still be um, in a pandemic. Um, so it's another way in which we're kind of coexisting in an in-between time. We remember our lives before covid and we wait in anticipation for the end of its plague. There is a clear then and now, and hopefully a future. Already, we say things like, remember when we went to hear live music, when we traveled, when school, be it elementary or college, was in person? You remember those times? Um, some of y'all probably read this. Emily Curran wrote about this in her recent reflection to the women of the Advent. She writes this sentence. I feel this constant unsettled feeling, this feeling of when will this end? When will we get back to normal? And isn't this exactly the human condition encapsulated in two sentences? A constant unsettled feeling as we wonder when this will end and we will get back to normal. And normal, capital N, normal, I contend is a seamless life with God in the Garden of Eden. Ever since our expulsion, we have longed to return to where we once belonged, where we were placed. So like I said, um, the title of this class is Who Are We and What Are We Waiting For? And as we are looking at who we are today, next week we will look at what we're awaiting. And I have spent a lot of time recently in W.H. Auden's For the Time Being. Anybody familiar with that? It's a very long poem. It could, it could almost be a play. In fact, I have been in it as a play back in college. I was the star most dreaded by the wise. It's a, it's a brilliant piece of poetry. 
Um, and it's, it really speaks to this very existential question of who we are and where we're going. Auden, he was a Christian. Now, he was um, also a poet. So some of his ways of writing the Christian truth are a little dense um, and hard to penetrate. But I, I, I did enough research on him that he really was. He was an Orthodox Christian. Um, he, and he sets the story of Christ's nativity. Well, he kind of sets it all over the place. But m much of it is set in modern times, which in his case, when he wrote it, was 1942, which, of course, were some very, very dark days of World War II. And he did this to demonstrate the promises of God through the unfolding of human history. Auden wanted the reader to feel the immediacy of Jesus' arrival into our world. Um, Jesus arrived in Bethlehem 2,000-something years ago. Jesus is going to arrive again this year. Um, he wanted... He also wanted to capture the human experience of feeling trapped in a repeating cycle within time. Everybody know Groundhog Day, that Bill Murray movie? Well, you know, that, that, that made it funny and light, sort of. But that there is that sense of, um, I'm just doing the same thing day in and day out. Life never seems to change. And the promise that God is actually moving us in time towards a final destination was something Auden really wanted to convince the reader. There is a point to our lives. We are headed somewhere. All right, so who are we? We are an exiled people. We are, in a word, homeless. We were kicked out of our garden and the gates were barricaded. This occurred, of course, because we disobeyed God. Therefore, we are sinners living in a broken, sinful world. And we walk in darkness, too. Um, the beautiful language of the Advent prayers and the words of Scripture acknowledge that we are in the dark waiting on the light. I, I, I picture this um, image of uh, the body of the, the, the Israelites sitting in our nave in total darkness. It's completely dark. And from the rear comes one little candle and it illuminates the whole room because the light is so much more powerful, powerful than the dark. But we need that light. Um, we have been trying to get back to the garden ever since. And I'm going to suggest a few ways that we might do that or either get back to the garden or deny that the garden was really all that great. One of the things I think we do is we deny. Um, the fall did not really happen. It was more like a misunderstanding. God is going to um, welcome us back because we really aren't that bad. Our salvation is retrievable. And we will be returning very soon. Meanwhile, we've got tools within us to help restore us to our true selves. We've got science, philosophy, psychology, and then there's just good old enlightenment. We cling to our faith in a not-quite-yet-realized utopia 
that humanity surely will create as soon as the right system is established. Um, we also we misunderstand the prophets of the Old Testament. The prophets promised a Savior, a Messiah, a Christ, who would save us from our current predicament. They described the Savior as a suffering servant who would usher in God's kingdom at great peril to himself, peril unto death. We heard, but we did not really understand. We managed this promise down to something that we could understand and imagine. We, we understood it to be that we would be given a mighty king, a political revolution, a restoration of power and dominion over our enemies. We would no longer be in bondage. This Messiah would be a triumphant hero in our desperate time of need. And do we not sort of see this right now in this very moment in our nation? So many of us place our salvation in the hands of one political party or the other. We project our hopes and our fears onto a political candidate, and when our guy wins, we think we are now okay. I, I'm not really talking about my Christian brothers and sisters, but certainly my secular friends and family. Um, it's unbelievable to me how much power they give to the candidate of their choice for saving them from all that's bad in our world. Another way we deal with this loss of the garden is we reject God. God made a covenant with Abraham that he would be our God and we would be his people. He would make Abraham's descendants into a great nation. But we could never keep our side of the agreement. Never. Again and again, we betrayed God by worshiping other gods. We were given God's holy law, and in record time, we broke every commandment. Moses wasn't even down from the mountain before we had forsaken the God who had liberated us and sustained us in the wilderness while on our pil pilgrimage to a promised land, a real place. And we cast our loyalties elsewhere. In Exodus 24, we read that, just love the, um, that when he, Moses, took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people, and they said, listen to what they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. Yet while Moses was with God himself on the mountain for 40 days, 40 days, Receiving God's holy law on the people's behalf, um, the people um, gathered themselves together with Aaron and said to him, Up, make us some gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't, we don't know what has become of him. So you know how they did it. Um, Aaron had them take all the gold out of their ears, their mouth, their wrists, and they fashioned the golden calf. Um, they created this golden calf and they worshipped it. It is no wonder that Jesus calls the Pharisees, also guilty of creating their own religion, an evil and adulterous generation. 
in Matthew 16, 4 is one of the places he says that. We are an unfaithful people who follow the devices and desires of our own hearts. And then finally, the way a way that we might deal with um, the loss of our garden is we despair. We see our situation for what it is, and we have no hope. Auden, in his poem, has the shepherds, the night that Jesus is born, out in the field, and upon witnessing the heavenly host, praising his arrival, the angels confess to one another, We never left the place where we were born, have only lived one day, but every day. We have walked a thousand miles, yet only worn the grass between our work and home away. Lonely we were, but never left alone. Now, I don't know about you, but to me that sounds like a life of quiet desperation, to quote Thoreau. Um, This notion of living the same day every day, of traveling no further than to work, and back is that Groundhog Day phenomenon that is bleak and without hope of rescue. And what about this? We are lonely, but never alone. I mean, can you say the internet? We self-medicate, we seek relief, we despair, and Lord knows we've got an epidemic of depression going. Holy Scripture confirms everything I have said about who we are and the misguided ways we deal with our predicament. We are a people who once knew, briefly, paradise, and then we lost it. So, I bet you're ready for an and. And praise God, there is an and. As folks here today in the house of our Lord who are preparing to enter the season of Advent, We are also already saved from ourselves, and we have been adopted already into our permanent home, God's kingdom. We have been delivered from our denial, our misunderstanding, our outright rejection of God. We have been delivered from our despair. Let's read, um, this is the sheet that was on your um, it's from Colossians. And let's see if I have one. Aha. Uh, just read along with me while I read it out loud. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. 
For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So did you catch that in the passage I read to you from Isaiah and and St. Paul? Um, They both speak to the darkness of our world. Isaiah says that the people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. And in his letter to the Colossians, Paul tells us that Jesus, who is that great light, has delivered us from the domain of darkness. So, and notice how we are completely the recipients of this atoning work of Christ. We are the receivers of Christ's grace. He has delivered us. We have not delivered ourselves. And thereby, and thereby we are the beneficiaries of God's grace. We are moving forward towards what has been promised to us to come. We are not stuck in a never-ending cycle of reoccurring sin. We are a people who are headed somewhere. We are moving towards a complete reconciliation to Christ in all things on heaven and on earth. Um, Any thoughts or comments about this? Carolyn, I loved what you said in picking up Emily Crime's words. Uh-huh. Because uh, she really did express a feeling that I think everybody's felt. Yeah. Is that um, constant unsettled feeling. Right. Wondering when we will get back to normal. Right. And to cast that in terms of we, we really are, look, that, that's, that is the human condition. Right. And that we all, we live our lives. Right. Whether it's COVID or not. Right. And that is so the thing I hope we learned yeah. from this. I, I thought, yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was that was so helpful. That was all of this. Well, thank you. Um, all right. Well, I'm going to um, close us with the prayer for the first Sunday in Advent, and um, I pray also that y'all would have a good afternoon and a good week, and that um, you will um, find this season of preparing to prepare um, most profound. So let us pray. Almighty God. Give us grace that we may cast away the works of darkness and put upon us the armor of light. Now in the time of this mortal life in which thy son Jesus Christ came to visit us in great humility, that in the last day when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge both the quick and the dead, we may rise to the life immortal through him who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Ghost, one God, now and forever. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.